creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. The biggest opportunities always seem to go to those who have all the connections. Do you ever feel like that? Like it's all a game. It's all rigged. It can feel extremely disheartening if you don't have big connections. Like what is even the point of trying? I don't have a relative in the business. I don't have some super connected art professor that can give me the hookup. I don't even stand a chance at getting any of the biggest roles or any of the biggest jobs. And I felt like this for the longest time in my own creative practice until I realized that the thing I needed most in my creative practice was never going to come from playing the biggest parts or getting the biggest jobs anyway. That wasn't even why I was doing this work in the first place. So if you feel super discouraged by your ability to get the big jobs because you don't have the connections, I want to flip this thing completely on its head and bring you a practice and a technique that might help you get some of those bigger roles, sure, but ultimately deliver on something even better than that. But before we get into that, let's have a quick word from the sponsors. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Little heads up before we get in, this episode is part, uh, it's the first part of a four-part series I'm calling Human Rhythms. 
Human Rhythms is a series that is kind of oppositional to the idea of creating and bowing down and serving and worshiping the algorithm as a creator, um, you know, whatever algorithm you might be creating for online. It's not so much about being anti-smart choices when posting your work. It's not like, I'm not saying you can't be strategic or make some basic choices that help your work perform a little bit better online. That I don't think there's any problem with that. I'm just a huge believer in the idea that your best work is going to come from you being your most human self and that working with your human rhythms, the rhythms of your humanity is going to get you a lot further than working to the rhythms of some algorithmic robotic intelligence that tells you when and where and how you and what you need to post. Like that is not going to yield the kind of work that makes the most deeply connected stuff with the people that consume what you do. Like if you want to connect to your fellow human, you need to be in tune with the human rhythms. And I don't just believe this because I think it's a nice idea. It actually aligns with some of my most deeply held creative values and practices. And considering we all get frustrated with the way online spaces are evolving right now, I think especially with the latest changes of Instagram, I thought it might be useful to remind myself and all of us that there are more human ways of working that are both more satisfying and more natural, but ultimately in the long run, I believe leads to more creative success as well. So here we go with episode one of the Human Rhythms series. Chapter one, forgetting about getting the biggest jobs. I think that the real key to getting the biggest jobs is actually forgetting about the biggest jobs altogether. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. And to do that, I got to tell you about something from my high school experience. So I'm not proud of this, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to be honest and vulnerable and and completely honest that the first two years of my high school experience, I the thing I wanted more than anything in the world was to be a popular kid. I just really wanted to be a popular kid. When I finally wormed my way into the cool crowd, it took me a good two years, I finally was one of the popular kids and I realized that it was not what I thought it would be. It, it did not give me whatever I thought it was going to give me. And I even knew at that age of something like 15 that what I was actually looking for was real connection. Someday we'll find it the real connection. I then did some deep soul searching and tried to figure out like, who am I? Like where, where will I find this connection? And I decided that maybe the best bet would be theater kids. I had always grown up wanting to be an actor. I wanted to do comedy acting. I made tons of videos at home, all kinds of stuff like that. But I'd never really done theater. And I'd never really seen it as my thing. But I thought it's close enough to the thing that is most me that maybe that's where I'll find what I'm looking for. And maybe the the theater kids could be my people. But trying out for a play definitely felt like social suicide. 
uh, especially if I tried out and didn't even get the part, I would be in a much worse position than I already was in. So I decided I got to go big or go home and I'm going to audition for the lead role because I figured that if I got the biggest part, I'd get the biggest surge of deep, real connection that I was longing for from that connection to the audience. I mean, it makes sense. Biggest part in the play equals biggest helping of real connection. I tried out and I got the biggest part in the play. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, all was well. Um, I was super pumped. Uh, it was a lot harder than I realized it was going to be. Like I practiced and rehearsed for months. It, it, it took so much of my focus. It took just forever to say things naturally, which I didn't see coming. Like the first time I would read it, it would just be like a bad Christopher Walken kind of weird inflections that weren't interesting, but just off-putting, <laughs> unlike Christopher Walken. And uh, on opening night, can you guess what happened? Like, do you know what happened on opening night? No, seriously, do you? Because I don't. Uh, you know, those big sandbags that they hang from the rafters? One of them actually fell on my head and I was left completely unconscious. Just kidding. <laughs> that didn't happen. It makes for it be a good story, but that's not what happened. But seriously, I don't really remember how it went exactly. Like I, I know that the play went well, but I can't really remember how the audience responded at all. Like I enjoyed playing the part. I enjoyed the experience, but I couldn't really remember. I don't have any recollection of cheers or clapping or anything like that. Like that real connection I was looking for by playing that biggest part didn't pan out how I thought it was going to. It's just kind of a blur. Uh, it, it wasn't the real connection I thought it would be. But you know what I do remember? I, I remember the cast party like it was yesterday. I really do. I didn't even know what a cast party was until the end of the first play and the first night I was invited out to the cast party after that first show. And I honestly, I remember that party like it was yesterday because I had never been part of something that had that much buzz of pride and accomplishment and camaraderie. Like it was such a meaningful experience. And looking back, it's so obvious that the connection with others I was looking for wasn't going to come from having the biggest part in the play than anybody else, but actually just playing a part in something that was bigger than myself. And in fact, I wonder if I'd had been less overworked by having the lead role in, in a play, which I'd never, I'd never been in a play. If I would have had more energy to actually connect with all the other people in the play and the other cast and crew, instead of isolating myself, trying to quickly learn how to be in a play. And I wonder if this also applies to our creative pursuits as well. I don't know about you, but so much of my creative generative urge comes from a place of wanting to connect in the depths of with, with other people in a way that it seems like only art can make possible. And that creative urge to make is so much less about look at me and it's so much more about, yeah, me too. 
Like, can you relate? Can you connect to this? And when I saw this, I started to realize that I didn't need to be on stage at a conference to get this feeling. If I was just attending the right sorts of conferences or gigs or events or, or endeavors, all I had to do was take part. And I think the icing on the cake is this. When you authentically participate in a group because you actually love the group and what you're gathering around, you are more likely to also get the bigger roles. Like the biggest joy as a parent for me is when you see kids level up way ahead of your timetable. Like when they're figuring out stuff way younger than you did, like that, that kind of feels like the only thing you're here to do as a parent is to help the next generation figure out things faster than you did and, and kind of push the species forward in that way. And so when my daughter learned that being popular or cool wasn't going to give her the connection she was looking for in middle school, that just like made my day. And last year she got into theater too uh, because she thought maybe these would be her people and it changed everything for her. Her whole middle school experience changed and she started making deep connections. She, and she didn't get the lead part. She just started in the costume crew and then she did the ensemble for a summer play. And it was there that a theater teacher from the school noticed her and she saw that my daughter was authentically enjoying the medium and participating and contributing in any way that she, that she just wanted to be a part of this thing so bad that she would do any role. And so many of the best opportunities for me came from just taking part in something that I genuinely enjoyed the process of. And while you're hanging out, while you're around, while you're there, people start to take notice that this is coming from an authentic place and they want to give you roles. And it's true that the biggest roles go to those with the biggest connections. And yeah, that sometimes means nepotism or classism or politics, all of which are totally garbage and I'm not co-signing them whatsoever. But sometimes those bigger connections were hard earned on the back of a genuine love of that particular creative game. And those connections are the ones that you can start enjoying the second you're willing to quit scraping for those biggest parts and instead just playing a part in something that is bigger than yourself. So if you're looking for the biggest roles, looking for a bigger role in your creative work, bigger jobs, bigger opportunities to be given dream jobs, maybe the first step is asking yourself why. Why do you want a bigger role? Is it because you love the work so much that you just want as much of it as you can get and you just geek out and bond with others and you just want as much as you can drink down? If that's the case, the best thing to do is to get stuck in. Join the groups and the communities and play a part in something that is bigger than yourself. That will scratch that itch and lead to bigger roles too, but it will do something even more important, which is give you the connections. Yeah, the connections that give you the jobs, but more importantly, the connections that give you what you're making work for in the first place. And if it's because you think the bigger the role, the bigger the connection, take it from me, the cast party had so much more to give in the way of belonging than the applause from the audience ever could. And if you find yourself in a place where you want more connection and more depth from your creative practice, you're wanting more from your creative work, instead of thinking more equals bigger roles, instead, I would say go for more being more involved 
in the creative communities where people like you are gathering and getting excited about the kind of stuff that you're excited about. Let's dive into what that means right now. Okay, chapter two is codify who gets it. The chapter two today will also be our call to adventure because I wanted to put this straight to practice. I was a little bit concerned that maybe like, fine, your kindred spirits would sound just too flimsy. You'd be like, uh, okay, that. how are you supposed to do that? Sounds nice. And I wanted to instantly put this to practice. So we're going to go straight into the action that you can take. So I once heard business writer Patrick Lencioni say, for a business to create a culture, they have to quit just vaguely building it around people who quote unquote get it. Like that's this vague notion, this kind of, it could mean anything, you know it when you see it kind of thing. That's too vague to actually take action on uh, consistently enough to get results. And I think if you go through your creative practice, just hoping that you're going to get the connections that you're looking for through the work, you are not as likely to consistently come up with those connections. There have been seasons of my creative practice where I'm in this zone where I'm not getting any of the connection. I'm not feeling any of the purpose behind why I love this creative work because I haven't clearly codified what does it mean to get it, like to get what I mean by it when it comes to creative work, you know? So I think what you have to do is codify what it means to get it, like really unpack specifically what is getting it look like so you can recognize it when you see it and take action on it right away. So we all have a tendency to do this, to intuitively or subconsciously have an idea of what it means to get it when it comes to the things that we love or the creative work that we think has that je ne sais quoi or that X factor, like we're just like, we can't really describe it. It's just the kind of stuff that we love or love to make. But leaving it in that realm of vagueness means that we are likely to miss the opportunities to seek out and recognize those people and get that connection we're looking for before we ever get the big opportunities. You can buy a ticket for that conference or event or join that local club right now and start feeling a portion of that connection that you're looking for through the process of making your creative work and, and, and going to the places you want to go in your creative journey. Like these people might very well be hiding right under your nose, right in your local community. I know that's true for me. You know, as I started to feel like, man, all the stuff I'm into right now, I don't know anybody that can geek out about this stuff with me. And I started to codify, what do I mean by this stuff? What do I mean by getting it? Like, what is it? When I started to unpack that, I noticed like, there are some legends in my local community that I could connect with right now over this stuff, like in real life. And so that's the power of codifying what it means to get it. So how do you codify it? What does it actually mean? Codify means to unlock the code. It just means to pull something apart so that you don't have just a kind of knowledge of what it is, but to intimately know what it is and how it works and how to recognize it when you see it. When you codify something, it's like calibrating a kind of creative metal detector. Without codifying, your metal detector is just kind of looking for 
metal. You know, we've talked about on the show how you ever have your grandma be like, you have to talk to my neighbor. She's an artist too. And you're like, oh God, because you're not just looking for a metal connection. You know what I mean? You're looking for a very particular thing. Like what we call art means totally different things. There is, you know, copper art. There's there's gold art for you. There's silver. There's everything in between. And it takes some time to actually identify what does it mean for it to be gold for me. Because without this collaboration, it's the difference between a gold connection and a connection that looks like gold, but ultimately is counterfeit fool's gold. I pity the fool. Finding these gold connections, these kindred spirits, this starts with defining what does it mean to get it in your personal subjective view as a creator. It's not about right or wrong. It's not saying, oh, I figured it out. This is good. That's bad. It's just your personal taste and, and finding the people that share that. How do you codify or explain or parse out what it means to get it? Step one in this process uh, step one is extremely easy. Just list five pieces of work from your creative medium, your creative passion of choice, and then uh, just just write them out. The five pieces of work that you feel get it. Like they have the secret sauce. And really take a minute to make sure that this list is undeniable. Like when you encounter these five illustrations or these five movies or these five songs, they just never get old. They have the thing that made you want to make stuff. This list out five of those things. Step two. Step two is where I think I've gone wrong many, many times. And I think a lot of people can get this part wrong because when we have an extremely deep connection with a piece of work like the work that we just listed out, with those five pieces, this experience is often so strong if you're a creator that we long to connect with the people that made it only. And I'm going to call this the misstand-terpretation effect because it's... Yes, we should be together too. That song, Stan, misstand-terpretation. It's a pun. Uh, <laughs> that song, Stan from Eminem, uh, that's all about this fictional super fan that's obsessed with Eminem and dreams of them being together. This is an extreme example of what a lot of creators, I think, actually feel. At least I... I never, never felt like Stan exactly, but I understand the impulse, right? Because when we're young in our practice, we find these creators that embody and understand us in ways that we don't even understand ourselves. Like that's the power of great art. And that urge to connect with the people that are also like this is so incredibly strong. It's a completely natural impulse, but not only is it definitely at least a little bit creepy to friend fawn over a total stranger who you don't actually know. Do you love me? It's also pretty unrealistic. Like very few of us are going to get the chance to meet any, uh, you know, many of our creative heroes, if any. And so to think that we could actually have any meaningful connection with that creator in real life uh, is just kind of, Ridiculous. Easy now, fuzzy little man, Peach. But I don't think that means that this artist's work can't work for finding the connections that we're looking for. How does it work? Tell me how it works. Like, what I think we can do with this list is connect through this work with others that feel the same way about the work. And I think we can do this on purpose. 
like step two is all is what you can actually do with this work. After you've listed out the work that embodies it, make it your personal mission in life to find creators working in a similar field to you that would put these pieces on their it list as well. It's your it list. You've heard of a hit list? This is the it list. How do you find these people? Okay, here's my best advice. And I, I honestly think this would be my number one piece of advice for any creator. Get real connections around the work that you love with other creators that love that work. Do whatever it takes. Save up all your birthday presents, Christmas presents, whatever. Tell everybody, don't buy me nothing. Put it in this pot so I can go to this conference or go to this gig, take this class with this creator, whatever it is. Put all your eggs in the basket of making connections with others. Not only because I think it's the best creative career advice, I think it's the most meaningful experience as a creator to bond over the work and this is how you do it. So it could be a conference, it could be a gig, it could be a class. You gotta take that list of art and find where are the people that love this stuff gathering. You know, it might be your favorite artist or writer doesn't have a class. Maybe they're not even alive anymore, but maybe you know people who have the same favorite writer as you and you can take their class or you can take your favorite writer's favorite writer's favorite writer's class and seek those places out. Recently, I made friends with someone who has the exact same taste as I do in stand-up comedy slash lay-down tragedy in this coaching cohort with a writer that we both liked online. It's not my favorite writer of all time, but they were offering a place and a space for people to gather in excitement around this work. And it cost me like $300, like a lot of money. And it was fun and it was useful for sure. But the biggest value wasn't in the event. It was in the connection I made with the other people in that cohort. And I'd never met anybody that had had this exact same taste as I do in public speaking. And we met up after several times on Zoom and email each other for free after we made the connection. And it took me, and that's what it took to find someone who wanted to do exactly what I want to do. It was so powerful. Step three is discourse. And that's what I was talking about with these follow-up Zooms or these emails or these going for drinks or coffee or tea, beers, LaCroix, in a coffee shop, your back porch, whatever. It can be anywhere. But step three is about talking it out with others. It's about getting gathered around the it list and then saying, what is it? That step three is dissecting these pieces and trying to get to the bottom of like, why do these things work out so well? And here's the best part. You may find answers that that's true. They, they may even be things that you can inject into your practice and learn from, but the best part is actually not the answers at all. It will be the wrestling with the questions with someone who gets it. And when they get what you get, guess what? You're gonna feel got. You're gonna feel understood in the deepest, most incredible ways. And I wonder if this isn't 50% why we make things in the first place. And so if you are annoyed by the fact that the people with the biggest connections get the biggest roles, I hope that you completely flip that on its head. 
And I hope instead you forget about the bigger roles and you go for the biggest connection because I think that's why we're doing this. And the icing on the cake is it also might lead to the biggest roles inevitably anyway. That's part one of the Human Rhythms series. We've got four parts. I am very excited about all four episodes. I'm coming off fresh from a three-week trip in the UK, uh, and in which I, I did a lot of work for these episodes. And I'm just, I'm feeling it. I don't know if you felt the extra energy in this in this recording, but it was there. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about these ideas and I hope that this episode hits you hard in the right way. Okay, massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Huge thanks to our patrons at patreon.com. This show is listener, partially listener supported and look, you know, I try to, spend a lot of time making the best episodes I can because partially because I know that there are people who are putting their money into it because they care about the show or they get something from the show. And I see you. I appreciate you. I primarily just try to make great episodes uh, to to thank you for the patronage. And um, and I want to give you a shout out too because we, uh, we couldn't do it without you. It's all kinds of hidden costs to making a show. And um, yeah. You, you make it possible. So thanks, patrons. Shout out to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing the show so well. Um, we love you, man. I'm feeling lovey. I'm feeling <laughs> excited to be making the show again after a few weeks off. Um, <laughs> I'm getting emotional. I'm not getting emotional. Um, <laughs> I, I am a little bit now. Anyway, thanks to Ryan Appleton, Sophie Miller, uh, and Katie Chandler for our content and podcast assistance of all sorts and kinds. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs> <laughs>